good January. Got all, all you guys' attention like that. And that's, that's all right. It's good to be back. Um, a lot of you guys said, wow, you were gone. Yes, I was gone for a, a week. Uh, it was good to get away, step out. Um, but man, just so, so grateful always to hear what God is doing. Um, whenever I'm away from here, we know we have a great team of leaders uh, saturated throughout the, the church family here, from the kids to our greeters to our sound and worship team to those who preach. I mean, it's just, we, God has just given us so, so much, and I'm thankful for that. I always feel the freedom to step out. Uh, we had a seven days of fasting and prayer two weeks ago, and um, man, it was, it was a good time. It was a good time. I heard so many different stories from so many of you. And uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm encouraged by that. And I imagine that there are others of you who feel like, yeah, you know what, the, the ship uh, took off on me on that one. I, I missed the boat. And, and that's all right, man. This is a time to say, you know what, but what can I do? What can I do to get my life with God in order? Um, and maybe I failed in certain areas, and I got to get back up and trust him and lean on his grace. Um, I've seen God to do some amazing things in that. Just even the way he answers specific prayers in my life, not, not these huge mountain-moving things, but those, those little answered prayers that reminded me, hey, I hear you when you call out to me. And, man, I was just so, so encouraged by that. I want us to keep our brother Jeremy Barona in, in prayer. He's in Haiti right now. Jeremy is in Haiti um, serving the many Haitian people out there, leading a conference to bless pastors, ministers, leaders, uh, teaching and instructing them. And, man, we're just so proud of Jeremy and the heart God's given him for, for people all around the world. Um, I'm excited. About, I'm excited about what's ahead of us. You know, as I was thinking through our time of prayer, focused prayer as a church, we did three Sundays uh, where we preached about prayer here. I think God brought to the surface things in our hearts that burden us. And now as we, as we look forward, my desire is like, how do we walk forward courageously, obeying God and the things he's pressing upon our hearts? And we know that when we gather each Sunday, we know there are some around among us here who are just trying to understand what it means to live out a Christian life. Maybe you're new to it. Maybe you're, you're trying to figure it out. And, and at, at, the, at, the, at the foundation of it is a courageous love and obedience of Jesus to Jesus. And I want you today to see how good Jesus is to us, how great our God is to us, but also what he requires of us. And that's faith. That's faith. Today we're going to talk about living courageously, and I think of that, I think of the 1939 movie, The Wizard of Oz. Any Wizard of Oz fans out there? Yeah. You know Dorothy walking uh, that yellow brick road with her dog, Toto, and along the way she meets three people. She meets the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and who else? Not just the lion, right? Cowardly lion. And there's a part in the movie where the cowardly lion is trying to muster up courage because he hasn't got any. Uh, the scarecrow needs a brain, Tin Man needs a heart, and here's this lion, the king of the jungle, who's afraid. He says, what makes a king out of a slave? What's the answer? Courage. What makes the flag on a mast to wave? Courage. What makes the elephant charge his tusk in the misty mist or the dusty dust? What makes the muskrat guard his musk? Courage. What makes the Sphinx the seventh wonder? What makes the dawn come up like thunder? What makes the hot and tot so hot? What puts the ape in apricot? What have they got that I ain't got? Courage. And he says, you can say that again. 
poor cowardly lion, I mean, how messed up. He's a lion who's afraid. We think about that. Fear has a way of making us cowardly lions. It's interesting because Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 28.1 that the wicked flee when no one's pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. But we find ourselves afraid often as cowardly lions. I think of what Paul tells Timothy. He says, God did not give you a spirit of timidity, but instead he given you one of power and love and self-control. It is part of the identity of every follower of Jesus to be lion-like, courageous, bold. And yet we find that fear and circumstances and failure causes us to cower away. The book of Joshua is a book that's rooted in this idea of courage. It's a book that's meant a lot to me and my family in our own journeys because there are often times, and you guys probably feel the same way in life, where I'm confronted by very fearful kind of situations. And there's many times in our lives where I think of being timid and and I'm, I'm reminded of God's words to not fear, but I'm also reminded of his word to be strong and courageous. Words that God spoke to Joshua at a very important time in his life. And we live in important times. We live in important times personally in our households, in our careers, in our education, and certainly in our country. And what the world needs, what the United States of America, what Chicago needs, what your block needs, are men and women who love Jesus and walk courageously. What, what your school needs, students, is for courageous young people, junior high and high schoolers, to walk their hallways with courage. Th- this is what our world needs. It needs courageous youth. It needs courageous singles who are going to say, this is how I'm going to live my life, and I'm going to buck the system. It needs courageous men who are going to lead because God made us to do it. These courageous women who are seasoned with their lips with the gospel and bold in their faith. Our world needs courageous Christians. So don't be a cowardly lion. Be a courageous one. I'm going to pray and ask God to help us with that very thing. And then we're going to, actually, before I pray, let's open up the book of Joshua. I want to read this with us. The book of Joshua. I'm going to read the text and then we'll pray. Joshua chapter 1. We're starting this series about nine weeks or so. It'll take us to Easter. Um, I love this book. Joshua is a great book. If you haven't read it, pick it up today and start reading with us. The Bible begins Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, first five books, and then it's Joshua. It's the first book of the Bible that wasn't written by Moses. It's written by someone else. The book of Joshua, chapter 1, let's rise to our feet. As I read this passage today, let's rise if you're able to. I preach the Bible because in this, God speaks to us. And man, I hope that you are expecting to hear from God this morning. I hope you are waiting to hear from him. I'm going to read the first half of the passage, and the second half, I want us to all read together, okay? So I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If your Bible is different, it's going to sound different. Um, But we're going to read here, beginning of verse 1, Joshua chapter 1. 
After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, says this in verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, go into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And these sweet words, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Let's read together verse 6 through 9. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land. strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. Father in heaven, we come before you and we want to hear, Lord. We ask that your spirit would work in our hearts and tear down walls. Let the walls fall down, we pray, Lord. And we pray that your hand would work in our lives, God, that you would expose places of fear, places of timidity, places of panic. God, Help us see ways that we're just not believing you, God, and we're, we're afraid. And Lord, I pray that you would cause us to march forward believing you today. Lord, I know you have a word for your saints today. And use us, Lord, and speak to us and be glorified in this place. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Love hearing God's word read from the lips of his people, man. The book of Joshua starts out with some interesting statements, with an interesting statement, an important one, not the way you would typically start a book, but it says, after the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. In order to really understand the book of Joshua and the beauty that we're just read, read right there, we got to know the context. All right, this is always the first principle of understanding the Bible, is understand the preceding context to what you're reading. And when it says, after the death of Moses, we need to ask the question, who was Moses? And what we'll find, if we had time to explore the first five books of the Old Testament, we would see that Moses was a pretty dope dude. Moses was one who had an unlikely life in his early years. In fact, at his birth, Pharaoh gave the charge to kill all the, all the sons born to Jewish women. Because he was afraid that their slaves 
That's because they were in Egypt, and Pharaoh was head of Egypt, and the Jews, the Israelites, were slaves. He was afraid that his slaves were becoming too prominent. There's too many of them. He says, kill off their sons to slow down the growth of the Israelites. And Moses' mother did a courageous thing. She, she, she took her son, placed him in a basket, and put it on the Nile River. And I could imagine her praying over that basket, saying, Lord, protect this boy. Imagine what it was like for her to send that basket down the river with her son in there. And she called her daughter to keep an eye at a distance. And wouldn't you know that that basket ends up in the hands of Pharaoh's daughter? She picks it up and has a heart toward this baby. And she says, I need a woman to nurse this child. And so she sees this little girl and says, do you know of a woman and this little girl who's Moses' sister says, I know of somebody. And she goes and gets her mom, not knowing, uh, Pharaoh's uh, daughter, not knowing that this is the baby's mom. And, and there is the beginning of Moses. His name means draw out. He was drawn out of the Nile River. Moses was trained under the best education of the Egyptians. But over time, he began to see the injustices taking place because of slavery. And one day, there was an Egyptian man who was abusing an Israelite, and Moses is filled up with just wrath, and he comes, and he actually strikes the Egyptian and kills him. Moses murdered a man. And then he knew that all the Egyptians saw him, and he fled for the safety of his own life. He ends up in a wilderness where he meets a woman who ultimately leads her to her dad. And Moses lives among these people, the Midianites, as a shepherd. Talk about from riches to rags. And there while he's in the wilderness, he sees in a distance a bush that was on fire, but it was not being consumed. And he's like, what is going on with this bush? It's this Moses that went to the bush, and out of the bush a voice calls out saying, Moses, take off your sandals because you, you stand on holy ground. God talks to Moses. God tells Moses, you got to go back to Egypt. I'm going to use you to take my people out of slavery and bring them into a promised land. A land that's flowing with milk and honey. And this will be where I raise my people. So Moses, of course, is terrified of the thought of going to the most powerful nation, the most powerful man in the most powerful nation, and said, hey, let the people go. God gives Moses different signs and finally persuades him to go. Moses goes up to the Pharaoh whose heart was hardened and didn't want to let God's people go. And God sends ten plagues, frogs and locusts and darkness. And ultimately, it was the death of the firstborn sons of Egypt. It was this Moses that led God's people out of Egypt. They walked out of Egypt without raising a stink. And God leads them through the wilderness with a fire by night and a cloud by day. And they get stuck, and there's a red, uh, the Red Sea, and they don't know how to get past it. And God says, I got this. He parts the Red Sea. It's this Moses that leads some million people through the Red Sea on dry ground. It's this Moses that God promised to give the land. But it's also this Moses that didn't get into the land. It's this Moses who led this people that didn't get into the land. Because this Moses sent 12 spies to spy out the land of Canaan, where the promised land was. And the point of the spies was not to see if they can take the land. It was to see how they would take the land. But the spies had the wrong idea, and they came back with a great report. 
It's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. There is great fruit, but there's some other mighty warriors there. It's this Moses that didn't lead God's people into the promised land. And here he says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun. There's a reason God speaks to Joshua and not anybody else. Joshua was one of those 12 spies. Him and Caleb were the only two to survive that generation. But God speaks to Joshua, not Caleb, because Joshua was the one that Moses groomed to replace him. Side note here, family. You need to have someone on your hip that you are grooming in the faith of Jesus. If you're a child of God, you got to have someone alongside of you that you are pouring into and someone on the other side of you that's pouring into you. This is what the Bible calls discipleship. And so God talks to Joshua. He says, I got a plan for you, Joshua. He says, Moses is dead now. You are now older. Joshua was a slave in Egypt. Joshua saw all the mess of the wilderness years as they walked in the desert some 40 years. Joshua is there. God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, in verse 2, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. I'm going to pause here again. I, I'm, not, I'm not into the meat of the text yet, but I just had to stop here because if you're leaving Egypt, going into Israel, if you know your geography, you don't need to cross the Jordan River. The Jordan River is on the eastern part of the land of Israel, and they were coming from the south from Egypt. The reason they didn't have a direct shot into the land is because they disobeyed God. And God says, I'm going to cause you to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation who didn't believe me died off and their children will rise up. And now their children are taken to the land. So they end up on the other side of the Jordan River at the wrong place at the wrong time. God has a way of taking the wrong place and making it the right place in his redeemed time. I find it so amazing. They should have had nothing to do with the Jordan River, and God could have said, I'm done with this people. In fact, there are times he did speak that, but his plan was to bring them ultimately into the land. Some of you today are in the wrong place at the wrong time because of decisions you've made, disobedience in your life, maybe choices you've had, maybe things have been done to you, and you feel like this isn't the way my life was supposed to turn out. This isn't the way things were supposed to look when I had my five-year plan five years ago. You feel like you're at the wrong place at the wrong time, but you must understand that God can take that and put you in the right place in his redeemed time. And this is what he does for his people here. He says, yes, you disobeyed me. Yes, you guys had some consequences, but no, I'm not done. And no, you can't thwart my plan. And so now they're there on the other side of the Jordan, and God's like, Joshua, I'm going to use you to get my people into this land. He says in verse 3, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, the great sea toward the going down of the sun, which is the west, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. I read these words, and you're like, man, God's really affirming Joshua here, isn't he? He's like, I, I'm going to be with you. I, I'm going to give you 
my promise I gave to Moses. You can have the land. I'm going to give you protection. No one will stand against you. I'm giving you my presence. I will never leave you or forsake you. And you're saying, why is God holding up Joshua like this? And if that weren't enough, God tells him again in verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause his people to inherit the land. And we're saying, why is God coming alongside of Joshua? Because Joshua had every reason to be a cowardly lion this time. But this is what we've got to understand. He tells him to be strong and courageous, and we would think the opposite of strong is weak. But God's like, no, the opposite of strong is fear. The opposite of strong is fear. Look at verse 9. He says, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Joshua had every reason to be timid. And I'm going to give you four right here. See, God's saying, Joshua, I'm going to have you take these people into the promised land. And I'm sure even though Joshua doesn't speak here, first of all, he's thinking, hey, God, this land is pretty unknown to me. You ever been a tourist in a foreign city? You ever been in a foreign city with a foreign language? That's pretty frightening. I remember when Erica and I went to Uruguay, South America, uh, many years ago, we had a layover in in Brazil, in Sao Paulo, and I remember getting out the plane, every sign was in Portuguese. And I'm thinking like, oh, snap. Or last year when I was, or this uh, last summer when I was in Morocco for a a one-day layover, everything was in languages other than what I know. And I'm not fluent in Spanish, but I was even trying to speak Spanish to some of those folks. Because I'm like, hey, look, it's not that far from Spain, maybe. And they're looking at me like, not English, not Spanish, not broken Spanish for sure. And I'm thinking, Joshua's like, I got to go into a foreign land, a land of unknown, a place I've never been before except for one visit as a spy. And you know how that turned out? There was reason to be afraid. I'm sure Joshua's thinking in his mind like you see in those old Wild Wild West movies where people are like, we're not from around here. Timid, a land of unknown. That's, that's one reason why he would have been afraid. A second reason, as well, remember the bad report? Joshua was one of the 12 spies. What I didn't tell you is what was bad about the report. This is what they said. The people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified. That was part of the bad report. And they're very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And you're like, who's Anak? Well, Anak was a man who had children and they were all giants. You've heard Goliath before? Goliath was a son of Anak. Goliath was a mighty warrior enough to make the entire army of Israel tremble until David shows up. What about an army of Goliaths? And then it says this. It says, we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers to them. They could squash us. Undoubtedly. Joshua had every physical reason to be terrified. It was the land of the unknown. Remember the bad report. Third of all, it's the people he was leading. Leadership is hard because the people. (laughs) And there's about a million of them. We forget that when we think about this. About a million people that Joshua had to lead. And I'm sure Joshua remembered very clearly when those people grumbled against the great Moses. The Moses that says that he spoke with God face to face. 
the Moses that God revealed himself to, the Moses that God loved and called to be his leader, that Moses, the people rejected. Joshua's on Twitter, hashtag sick of Moses would have been trending. Hashtag rather have Egypt. Uh, Joshua saw firsthand how the people turned on this great leader. And now God's like, Joshua, it's your turn. And he's like, I don't know about that. It was land of the unknown. There was a bad report. There was a million people. And then the fourth reason to fear is when Joshua looked in the mirror. We know our own inadequacies. And when you say, hey, I want you to lead somebody, you right away think of all the ways you can't do that. And I'm sure Joshua's like, man, I see Moses. I don't add up. The unknown can be very unsettling, can't it? Very unsettling. What unknowns are unsettling your heart today? What, what are the decisions you know God wants you to make, but you are terrified to do it? What is God whispering in your ear and you're pretending like you don't have a clue? See, walking in faith oftentimes requires one step at a time that defies logic. This became very real for me and Erica when, we were pre- when I preached through this some six years ago. I preached through the book of Joshua in my former church. And it was in the middle of the series that someone said, hey, Eric, uh, there's a church that is closing down and we want to hand the building over to someone else to church plant. Would you be interested in that? And I remember thinking during that time I was preaching through the book of Joshua, thinking strong and courageous? No, I'm not good with that right now. And I, I just couldn't shake it. I'm not going anywhere this series, guys, by the way. But it was through that that God said, God was whispering. What's he telling you? Well, what decisions, what choices, what courageous steps of faith, what courageous words need to exit your mouth? What kind of things is God telling you, be strong and courageous, and he's upholding you saying, hey, my promise is with you. My, my, my protection is over you. My presence is with you. You walk by faith. How do we resist becoming cowardly lions? what God wants us to do, what God tells Joshua. He tells him in verse 6 to be strong and courageous, and he says it again in verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. But then he explains how the pathway to courageous living, the pathway to walking in obedience to God is this. He says this. He says, being careful. He says, only be strong and very courageous. Verse 7, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may be that you may have you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. I love how he says there in verse 7, only be strong and courageous. It, it, God is saying, Joshua. My promise is with you. My protection is over you. My presence is with you. Only I need you to be strong and courageous here. Uh, not, not so that 
that, that God's promises are conditional. He promised this to Israel. He's going to follow through on it. But he's saying, you won't know the freedom of my promises. You won't know the joys of my protection. You won't know the pleasures of my presence unless you are strong and courageously in the word. Then you will know my presence and the sweet way. See, uh, walking toward a strong and courageous life depends, first of all, that you and I would feast upon the scriptures. This is what God tells Moses here. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Isn't that interesting? Because I was, I was reading this last week, and I expected to say, this book of the law shall not depart from your mind or your heart. But he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. I think there are two reasons for that. The first one is meditation, especially here in this ancient society, was done audibly. They, they would speak God's word aloud, even in private. Moses, and God's telling Joshua, let my words be on your lips. The second reason I think he says don't let the word depart from your mouth is because he wants Joshua's lips to be seasoned with God's truth. You know what it's like to be around someone whose words are saturated with the truths of the Bible. And not, not just quotes, not just cliche phrases. Don't, don't give us that. Give the word to people. And you know what it's like when you're down and someone speaks God's word over you, not to show off what they know, but because they believe there's power in the word of God. God's saying, Joshua, if you're going to lead my people, your words must be permeated with my words. See, what's true here is this. What edges our lips is what comes first in our mind. What preoccupies your mind will preoccupy your tongue. Meditate on that for a moment. What you dwell on is what will exit your mouth. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, so when, when God tells Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night, he's saying, let it be what is on your heart so that it also is what exits your mouth. This is why when we let things linger in our hearts that are opposed to God, it's going to show up in our speech. This is why we lash out in anger, because we're letting anger linger in our minds, so that when we're hot, we let it speak. This is why gossip happens, because in our minds we're replaying scenarios, and it's so what permeates our minds that it's what exits our lips. This is why people who are consumed with money always are talking about money and how to make more and how to have more and accumulate more because it's what they meditate on. And God is telling Joshua, don't meditate on other things like you meditate on my word. I want my word to tell on you. I want your words to tell on you. I want what you speak to say what's really in your mind. And if you speak the word, then you know the word has been on your mind. Many of us, that requires breaking some old habits of speech and creating new. 
It means saying, God, purge obscene talk from my lips. God, purge division from my lips. God, purge sarcasm. God, purge anger. God, give me new lips that are seasoned with your word. We want gospel-saturated, Jesus-filled speech, not cliche, not quotes, happy-go-lucky, feel-good. We want the truth of God. God said, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. In order to meditate on it day and night, you've got to memorize it. You've got to put it to work. You've got to have it readily accessible, like a gun in a holster at your hip. You need God's word there with you, not just in written form, but also in memorized form. Parents, I just can't give you enough of an exhortation to memorize scripture, speak scripture over your children, and memorize scripture with your children. And I've shared this with you guys before, and I just uh, I want to just give it to you again. Uh, God gave us a, a gift many, many years ago when Keziah was but a baby. He gave us the idea of giving our child a verse on their birthday, and to recite that verse over our child every night until their next birthday. And on their next birthday, we give them a new verse. We've done this for each of our children every year, every birthday, a new passage, a new verse. And they are being armed with God's truth. And our prayer, we can't make this happen, but our prayer is that they would use this and wield it as a sword against temptation as they grow older. What he's done for me and Erica has forced us to memorize a lot of scripture. Because Keziah is 10, Lucas is 8, and Levi is 5. Meditate on it day and night. The reason we meditate on it, the way, the reason we don't let it depart from our lips, he says, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's in it. So that you may be careful, that, that, that you would live carefully. Because when we're not living carefully, we're, we're mindless often. We're, we're coasting around. I love this video. Have you seen this video that went viral a few weeks ago where this man leaves his house and he sees some, and he walks on black ice in his driveway? And he just slides down his driveway, and the dude's got no way to stop. And he's just kind of, you know, just holding up. And you think he's going to stick it out, and also he just wipes out at the end. The reason it happened is because he stepped out on there carelessly because he thought the ground was going to be stable. It's just he was going through the routine, paying no attention to the fact that he was stepping on a sheet of black ice. But th- that's what we do when we live life unarmed with the word of God. Careless steps. And we don't realize our footing is not where it's stable. But when we walk carefully, we look at our steps, we say, God, I I want my life to align with what you want for me. God, God, I I want my life to to be saturated with your truths. I don't want to turn to the right. I don't want to turn to the left. I want to keep my gaze upon you. See, what God is doing here for Joshua, he's removing those four reasons to fear. He's saying, okay, Joshua, I've got you. But you've got to commit to my word because in my word you will know my presence. You will delight in me. In my word you will know how to be strong and courageous. He's telling that to you and me today in the same way. I love it. God doesn't give Joshua any military instructions. Not yet. Because to God, it's unimportant. 
grace is enough. The protection is enough. Before you and I think, <laughs> I'm not on a battlefield. I'm not storming uh, the walls of Jericho. I'm, I'm not entering into this land. But God's like, it's not about the strategy. It's about me. You know the unknowns in your life. You know what things are causing you to be afraid. In the same way, God's like, I'm not giving you a strategy other than my presence. Pursue me. Soak there. The success in God's economy always reflects your obedience and his grace. And sometimes we become so addicted to tasks that we don't soak there long enough with God. And we're not meditating on his word. I was thinking about this this week. I said, why is it that many, if not most of us, if not all of us, find it so difficult at times to, to, to pause and to labor over the scriptures and to let God speak to us? What, what are the hindrances? And as I was thinking about this, uh, one is clearly in the text, but there's three others that I think are, are pertinent still. I think the first reason we don't commit to the word like God is calling us because we don't trust it. I think deep down inside, some of us don't believe that this is God's word. And hear me, you might say it's God's word, but do you believe it's without error? Do you believe it does not need editing? Do, do you believe that your responsibility to it is to know it and obey it radically? Our, our culture has told us it's a good book. Society tells us it's a, it's a holy book. But it does not believe it is inspired by God. Even in many churches, it is preached tongue-in-cheek. Sometimes we apologize for things in it because it's not socially safe anymore to say things. And so ultimately, deep down inside, we just, we just don't believe it. Maybe you misunderstand. We have every reason to be very confident that God has spoken to us in his word, and his word in our hands is God's word to us to obey, to love, and to delight in, not to edit or justify or glorify. But I think sometimes that's one hurdle. Sometimes we don't want to put forth the effort because we know it takes work. Sometimes we don't have a sense of urgency because we really do trust our own strategy deep down inside. I could do this, so I don't really need you right now. But what was clearly in the text, the fourth reason, the first two, the first three, again, we don't trust God's word. We don't want to put forth the effort. Sometimes we don't uh, have a sense of urgency because we trust our own strategy instead of it. The, the fourth reason, though, is fear. It's fear. Not, not the kind of fear of what it's going to tell me, but the kind of fear of what's going to bring about. Jesus tells us that the wise builder prepares in advance, lays a good foundation. Jesus tells his disciples to count the cost in advance and follow him. And I think in our culture, in the United States of America, where Christianity is increasingly looked down upon, many Christians have counted the cost have determined it's too expensive. We've not. So we might know what God tells us, but we're not ready to do it because the cost could be ostracized. 
wrong. Lose your boyfriend or girlfriend. You might lose your reputation. You're called a bigot. You're called intolerant because you hold to the word. And for some of us, it's like that cost is too high, God. I'm going to let it get cut from my life. Joshua had a choice here. See, the very reason Joshua is standing in that banks of the Jordan River is because previous generation chose to believe that the cost was too high. They said, there's giants in the land, God. We're not going to take you at your word. You told us you'd drive them out, but we're not going to believe you. We think that our children are at danger if we go there. We think we might die. We think we might lose. Therefore, God, we will gladly choose disobedience because we're afraid. And the entire generation died out. That's how quick it happens if you don't want to follow Jesus. See, cowardly lions take place when we see God in his word and we just say, God, I don't want this. But God acknowledges this. He acknowledges the, the fear that must have came over Joshua. And again, that's why he says, I'm giving you my promise. And you and I must understand that the Bible is chock full of promises for you and I to hold on to. Like when we share our faith, God promises that the Spirit of God will speak through us. We just got to speak. God promises that when we study the Word, that the Spirit of God will open our eyes. We just got to sit down and study. God promises that when we confront sin in our hearts, that He will root it out when we confess it and repent of it. We just got to search our hearts. God promises to give us wisdom when we ask him. But we've got to ask and not be like the way that they see that's being taught. God promises to give you a new life when you put your faith in Jesus. But you've got to surrender your old life first. God promises heaven to all who believe. God promises his presence to never leave us mistaken when we sit in his presence and experience him. See, the Bible's filled with promises. Just as God promised Joshua, he promises us and offers us his presence. Family, I look at the book of Joshua, and I see a man here who's much like you and I, shaking in his boots, because the unknown is incredible. We see somebody here who has every tangible reason to be panicky and terrified. Just like you and I oftentimes do in our lives. But what I love is that God calls out Joshua. And he says, I will be with you. I will protect you. I will give you my promises. Only be strong and courageous. Be rooted in my word. Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. But meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all, all that is written in it. And then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. 
nothing said about money, by the way, with prosperity here. Prosperity is God with Joshua as he enters the land. Family, as you stand in the banks of your own Jordan River, as you stand staring down something that scares you, as you walk by faith in your pursuit of following Jesus, hold on to his word. Hold on to his word. Because God has given us the greatest promise of Jesus who delivered us from our sins. And in Jesus, he is the Emmanuel, God with us, the presence of God in our lives. And Jesus has promised us the land of eternity and even to prosper us in our lives now. So don't be a cowardly liar. Be a courageous one because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What I want us to do here, family, would you bow your heads? I want you to think about right now. What are the walls in your life that are causing you great fear? What are the hurdles? What are the circumstances? Who are the people? And I want you to bring that to God in a moment here. Just pray in your heart. Say, God, I don't want to live fearful. God, I want to trust in the good news of Jesus that saves me from sin. Maybe today you've got to resolve in a fresh way to be a woman, be a man, be a young person who commits to walking by God's word. Our generation, family, it's as though people in our society would ridicule. There are others who are looking for an answer. Christians who stand up for what they believe about truth and how Jesus is the only way to eternal life. Father, we come before you, Lord. And we see this beautiful passage where you initiate with Joshua, but you have expectations that he follow you. Lord, I pray that you would raise up faith within your people this morning. God, help us care more about what you say and what you think and what you want than what others do, Lord. Help us walk with love, filled with grace and with mercy, but courageous on the God, I pray for that person who's here today, God, and you're stirring in their hearts and they, they feel far from you, God. 
they feel so afraid. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to do, Lord. And you are whispering, maybe even megaphoning in their ear, come to me. God, if they've never done that, let them do it today, God. And they've done it before. May they come back. Trust me, God, that you are with 